Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com I'm a feminist, but when re-watching uh, the 2004 classic Mean Girls, a character called Gretchen Wieners stated that dating a friend's ex is against the rules of feminism. And secretly, I agree with her. I don't know what oh. the rules are. <laughs> Oh, that's an interesting throwdown right there, Alison. Dating a friend's ex is against the sisterhood. Like, I believed it when I was 14, and I kind of secretly now believe it now that I'm 31. Oh, the secret's out. You've just confessed. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel. I'm a feminist, but I once said, and still stand by, that two people at the beginning of a relationship are just two stalkers who mutually agree not to call the police. Because of the Googling and stuff. Yeah, you like yeah. you follow them at home, like you constantly like texting them too much. You think about them the whole time. You obsess about them. You look at all of their pictures and like them online and stuff like that. Totally. I'm a feminist, but I was watching Magic Mike the other night and I realized that a lot of stuff was catered for, such as people that fancy firemen, people that fancy policemen. But I feel that people who like back hair are not catered for. And there's mm. a lot of back hair erasure in Chip and Dale's culture that I think needs to change. Yeah. That's that's Absolutely. my I don't want to do a TMI, but full on like if it was legal to ride Alf from the Pogs or Chewbacca, I'd be into it. <laughs> <laughs> not that it is illegal, but I mean like it would have to be a more sentient you know, I no idea. It be, yeah. you had this great love of back hair. Does your boyfriend have a lot of back hair? <laughs> Deborah, I can't say, but yes. <laughs> Does he have enough back hair for you? Would you like him to sort of cultivate some more? Yeah, like no, I up. Oh no, no. Um, I don't know. I've never, I've never known what's too much. You know, like it's a, uh, it's hard. I love a strong eyebrow. I love back hair. I love every bit of hair. I, I think Chip and Dale's shaving themselves is a disgrace. They're not cycling. They don't need to be aerodynamic. Yeah. I don't understand 
why why uh, body hair is taken off at a magic mic or Chippendale situation. And I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with it going to one if if there was more body hair generally. Well, I'm a feminist, but one of the last things I did before lockdown was go and see Magic Mike. Oh, I'm um, delighted that you did that. Was that like an emergency thing? You could see that the world was being ravaged by Magic Mike. Just- I had no idea it was coming at all. I deliberately went to see it of my own accord before I knew the pandemic was going to happen. And it was one of the best nights of my life. I admit I it. Wh- I admit it. Was I it a live a lot show? Of very subtle Chekhov and Pinter. Yeah, live show, live show. It's basically the movie of Magic Mike, but without the story. Um, nice. I went to see it and <laughs> what little story there was has been hoovered out because there's no need for it. There's no time for it. No. Not with the screaming. No. You wouldn't hear it with the screaming. Maybe the story was there and then people screamed over it. Who would ever know? <laughs> uh, but uh, it was one of the best nights of my life. And I've seen a lot of subtle Pinter and Chekhov and Shakespeare. And I've seen a lot of brilliant you know, plays by Laura Wade and Sarah Kane and, you know, Lucy Preble and, you know, and yet Magic Mike, one of the greatest nights of my life because it was just a liberation. See, I would love to see the Magic Mike guys do like Pinter or Samuel Beckett. I'd oh, love to see it. Cool. I think that would be Roxana, that's a <laughs> or great Sarah idea. Kane play, you know, <laughs> like the ultimate feminist experience, I think. So just two of the Magic Mike guys doing Waiting for Godot. Oh, gorgeous. That would be amazing. They're all covered in body oil. They're all, they're all. Can they do dancing in between the lines, though, please? Because the yeah, dancing was the best yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the music. So they just do. It. They just sit there, kind of talking about when God is going to come and doing all the kind of whimsical surrealist stuff. And then I feel, boom. I feel that they'd be like, "When is God coming?" And then they would do some sort of movement with their hand to indicate, you know, ejaculate, like not to be. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I see. So when, yeah, waiting. They do that a lot in Magic Mike. Like that is a big move they have is like just like that. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, if you can't see because it's a podcast. Which they can't. Yeah, they can't. I've never even seen the film. Oh my God, I'll have to remedy this immediately. I recommend Magic Mike XXL more so than Magic Mike. Magic Mike is is like a a bit of stripping in it. But it's also... Yeah, the sequel is a road movie with lots more stripping in it. And the first movie is like a very slow moving story about the recession, really. It's a really good film, though. I think. It is like, a genuinely, it obeys, good, genuinely good film. It it's just there for the stripping XXL. It, it obeys basic rom-com it's, laws that she ends up helping him becoming a craftsman, like a carpenter, and makes his own handmade coffee table because that's what men in rom-coms always want. They always want to make a good mm. coffee table. That's and true. women always want to open their own bakery, their own cupcake yeah. shop. I don't know a why. A flower shop. Yeah. A flower shop or a cupcake shop. He wants to make Mostly. handmade furniture yeah. almost exclusively. Or he could be an architect, that happens. But it's always making something. Oh, my God. I would love to see a rom-com of, like, despots. Like, just very, two evil dictators that fall in love. Yeah. And they're going to go to war. That's a good idea. But, you know. That's fabulous. I'm going to write that's a great down. idea. Um, I, honest to God, I think that's a brilliant idea. Absolutely. I'm just here. <laughs> Listen, absolutely. can I just ask, is Joe Manganiella in the second Magic Mike? He is, he is. And there's more of them as well. Uh, oh, there's right. quite a lot of them actually in I'm the in. first one as well. That's tonight's entertainment taken care of. <laughs> wow. Wow, I didn't even know there was a sequel if I'm honest, if I'm if I'm perfectly honest. 
from a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom. The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guests, Marion Keyes and Roxana Nick Liam, talking about being a grown-up. Woo! Hey! <laughs> you! You! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Alison Spittle and we're talking about being a grown-up! Woo! Woo! Yoo-hoo! Now, before we carry on, I'm going to introduce our guests because we normally mm. do a bit of banter at the top, me and Alison, but you're our only audience so and you may want to heckle. Uh, so our guest today is an internationally best-selling author who has been writing hilarious, heartwarming fiction about modern women in the modern world for over 25 years. Now with her highly anticipated 14th novel, Grown Ups, she turns her attention to the very issue of what it means to be a grown-up in the modern world and explores what happens when people just don't behave like them. Please welcome Marion Keys. Thank you. And Roxana Nick Liam, uh, a brilliant performance poet who I've only just discovered, <laughs> and which I'm quite annoyed about, Roxana, because uh, Alison Spittle has known you for a long time and hidden she's, you from me. She's so selfish. Like, this is a thing. She just wants me to be in a box and just perform for her. <laughs> I'm yeah. very insecure, Deborah. I'm very insecure. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, Marion. We're very honoured to have you on the show. We've wanted to have you for years. I'm so sorry that it's taken this long and I am genuinely really, really honoured to be with you and thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are a famous and very brilliant novelist. So we are are the honoured ones. Ah, ah, stop now, stop, 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 stop. There's three quarters quarters of us here today are Irish uh, and we can't take praise. We can't. But thank you. We really can't. I'm cringing, but thank you. Now, is it, this is an interesting start of the 10 in that case. Is it part of becoming a grown-up, learning to take a compliment? Is that part of it? No. No. (laughs) No. No. End of story. Maybe, yeah, if you, maybe if you were a different nationality, perhaps, but in, in Ireland, it is the most, it would be such a crass thing to do. To you know, if somebody said, oh, my God, people would be like, who the hell does she think she is? You know, I used to like her. You know, I did. You know, but oh, God, she's dead to me now, you know. And anyway, <laughs> she's not even that great. I mean, we were only being nice to her. Um, no, it would be a disaster. It would be social death. Career death, all the deaths. Yeah. If you called someone confident in Ireland, it's a, <gasps> it's a massive That's an insult. It's That's a massive so insult. <laughs> massive. Alison taught me the concept of having notions once. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's the worst thing you can do, you know, like you can be a murderer and, you know, you could be all right so long as you don't have notions. You as know, long like as you don't nice say you're the best murderer. murderer. As long as you don't, that, you're not like, oh, I've killed 12 people this morning. Then you're a murderer with notions. Yeah. Or if you say, I killed her because I hit her with the Ming vase. You see, <laughs> that's a real notiony murderer, <laughs> you know. Or yeah, there was a Waterford class decanter on the sideboard and I picked it up and hit her a whack with it. And that's, I got oh blood all over God. my Prada dress. Oh, but it actually Listen. doesn't even have to be that fancy. It can just be like you got like nice crisps <laughs> like you just didn't buy oh, like, okay. oh yeah it be, like yeah a waterford crisp or it can just be oh god jeez look at the fancy mm-hmm. crisps Ooh, yeah you can be like yeah. i stabbed him with some kettle chips because i'd say that could be done you know the kettle chips <laughs> yes. are pretty hard yeah 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 and they can be very sharp yes yes <laughs> uh, if you shanked someone with a kettle chip 
Mm. People yes. would have more of a problem that you'd gone to buy fancy kettle chips yeah. rather That's than some of your bog standards. Yeah, what's wrong with Mr. Tater? Yeah. <laughs> Last time I was in, in fact, we were in, um, we were in, in Northern Ireland. Yes. Alison confessed to fancying Mr. Tato. The, Wait, which the Mr. iconic Tato? crisp man. Alison, yeah, Alison. you see, there's two which Mr. Tatos. Tato? The Northern Irish Tato, which is a betrayal to the Republic, but he does, he as I said to Deborah before that episode, he has a jawline, which, you know, uh, <laughs> poor, poor old Mr. Tato, Republic of Ireland. Uh, what did they call him? Free Stato. Free Stato. Uh, <laughs> Republic That's fantastic. I haven't heard that. <laughs> well, well, I think she like just Alison coined that. it. That's what could unify Ireland is uh, you, you and, and Northern Tales relationship would they finally bring together. peace. <laughs> Can I ask a question? The Tato Man. Yes. I'm going to suggest because he has a sort of short top hat and a rolled up umbrella that he has notions, in fact. He's wearing a tie. He's in striped trousers. Has Mr. Tato got notions? I've never thought of it before, but maybe he does. Well, it depends on the flavor, Deborah. You know, cheese and onion, no notions. But if no it's notions, like Coco yeah. Van, then it would be oh, notions. Yeah. That, that's how I would describe it. Is there a Coco Van? I mean, for our international listeners, we should probably explain everything we've just said. Coco so, Van? <laughs> so first of all, could you please define notions, uh, Alison? Ladies, Mary and Roxana, correct me if I'm wrong, but notions is like a sense of... Uh, it's a bit like, I was going to say Hyacinth Bouquet, but that's another reference to something in Britain. What, how would you describe notions, ladies? I'd say like trying to, or just even like anyone who tries to better themselves in any way. Because what you're saying, because <laughs> what you're saying is you're better. Like mm. it, 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 it came from probably like in like old Dublin when like people would buy stuff maybe they couldn't afford. And it was like, oh, she has notions. And it was seen as like, she thinks that we're the lowest of the low and she's trying to get out as opposed to just happily accepting her tragic. Yes. My mum, my mum, once a woman paid for her TV license in my estate and my mum was like, oh, she's got notions. (laughs) 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 What, because she paid her license when she was meant to and she didn't just... She didn't just say it over the telly. Instead of yeah. living in fear, whatever. Yeah, for the knock on the door. Yeah, she came out like waving us, like, here it is. Oh, she showed off her TV license. She again, did. If you're living internationally, you may not know this concept where you have license. to pay the government a fee, an annual fee, if you have a TV because you might watch the, the sort of national station. Um, <laughs> so you have to pay a special fee every year to own a TV. That's a brilliant version of notions. Mm. If you've paid the bill, you've got notions rather than just living in fear that they're going to come along and find you. It's like shoplifting. I think like people do it for a frill rather than like like necessity sometimes, and that's mm. that's what I'm like about TV license. I'll pay it, but like I want to live in fear for two weeks and then like uh, then <laughs> yeah. pay it. Yeah, then feel, it's like a roller coaster. That isn't it? Oh, feel, feel I just the want thrill. every knock on my door to be like, "Ooh, who's it yeah. going to be?" <laughs> Is that going to be the authorities coming yeah, to take me so away? Yeah, just so you can feel something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is, this is, this is Marianne, peak lockdown, this exactly is. that's exactly the truth. Do you think there's been like a porno that started off with like a TV license? There has to be. Oh my God, that's what If there hasn't, it has to be made. It really does. It really does. It really does. Never mind your old plumbers and electricians. Yes. You know, we, we want the TV license inspector person. Exactly. What if the TV I, license inspector person comes around? Yes, and is like, 
oh, you haven't paid your TV license. And then you're like, oh, I don't have any money, so I can't. And then he's like, well, how else could you pay me? And then, and then she's like, oh, well, Sign I really like right- Coronation Street and I really want to watch it. So maybe we can come to some arrangement. And then, yeah, just Ken Barlow watching on. It was, Actually, it's quite <laughs> oh, grim. God. <laughs> Ken Barlow watching on. Oh, my God. So what then? The soap is on while you're doing the thing. Why not? Why um, not? This doesn't sound I, think- like, I was trying to pitch this as going to say, oh, let's make some feminist porn. But actually... The first scenario I've come up with is very much anti the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, Deirdre Barlow then could be watching instead. That's more yes, feminist. Deirdre Barlow, that will make a feminist. <laughs> I don't think anything about this is feminist. I, 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 I feel like I've created a Me Too scenario for the ages and I <laughs> apologise in full. Has anyone got any more I'm a feminist butts? I have some, but I'm afraid that they might have already been all used up, but I'll tell you them anyway. Do, um, please. Marion, okay. please, knock us out with your I'm a feminist butts. I'm a feminist, but when I am stuck behind a dithery driver, I always say to myself, I bet that's a woman. <gasps> Stop it right Isn't now. That awful. What? That's terrible. Isn't that terrible. I mean, see, I'm all, so I sorry that you've come on this show to be cancelled. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, it's all over immediately. First of all, I check to see if they're wearing a cap. So if they're right. not, if I can't see a cap, then they're not a man. So um, they, they ha- and then they have to be, you know, I mean, I, like I hate all men drivers as well. I hate all drivers except me. <laughs> You're like, an equal opportunity. Yes. Like my over most overused phrase is indicate you bastard. Like, I mean, <laughs> like that. The true me comes out when I'm in my car. Okay, right. I get really resentful when I have to put out the bins. I mean, thousands of people have probably said that. I just, you know, I feel like I shouldn't have to. My dainty lady hands um, shouldn't, and my dainty lady nose shouldn't have to get near those. You know, Theresa May said. Theresa May said that putting out the bins is a men's job. Oh, no. oh God! I, I mean, I don't want to have show, To be honest, she, she didn't come on the show. Say I'm a feminist. <laughs> right. Okay. I was thinking today. I wonder if we could get Pretty Patel on just to sort of do an episode on sociopathy. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then, then you could then you could picture the thing about the despots. The fall yes. in love, the rock. Oh, she'd you be know, great in it. She could she'd meet great. She could meet your man from North Korea. And, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, I hate you. And they're yeah. like, you're the oh. worst person to be stuck here on this nuclear island with, with the, the red button and all. And Wouldn't one of them have to be left wing and one of them have to be right wing with the way rom-coms work, though? It's, it's well, just, I feel it would have to be like AOC meeting Kim Jong-un. That would make me really sad to yeah. have like a left wing woman be because I feel yeah, that that's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Of, oh no, of, yeah. so oh, we don't, don't talk about this. politics. I'm not pitching this. This sounds horrific. But I'm just saying, <laughs> either way, <laughs> the rules of the rom com are clear, guys. I don't, I don't make the rules. Or it could be Bridget Patel meets Joe Biden in a world where he's single. Could be that. Well, he's I, like, I hate no, it. I hate it. I don't want Joe Biden to fall in love with Pretty Patel. I don't want she it either. She deserves nothing. That's it. Especially not Joe Biden. Okay, let's go back to Kim Jong-un and we'll just forget the rules of the rom-com. Anyway, go on, Marion. If you've got another right, feminist butt. I'm a feminist, but 
I have a niece who is 20 and she is very beautiful in all the ways and she's very righteous. She's very kind. She's concerned about the planet. Um, and I have always told her that like her external appearance doesn't matter. And she had really, really long, beautiful hair down to her waist. And then she cut it to nearly her ears. And <gasps> I felt really sad. Oh, did you tell her? No, 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 no. But it was like I had to kind of put my hand in front of my mouth and to stop the words from coming out and going, You've ruined yourself. You were so beautiful. (laughs) And now it's all gone. Is she she giving the hair away? Like I'm sh- for a charity, or of course. Like I mean, yeah, like she is the goodest. She is the oh. loveliest. I mean, she you really, really are is. a bad person, Marion. Like, I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. One thing we've learned from this episode: <laughs> Marion Keys is an awful, awful Mar- human being. Marion Keys was. I mean, it, this is the date of her cancellation. <laughs> yes, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. long to be fair. It all but, came out. You know what? I, I actually do relate to that though, because I think when you've same. grown, when you've seen someone grow up, and you've seen them as a little girl. And you think, oh, my God, look at their beautiful locks. And then they cut it and then they become like a grown up with a power haircut. You're like, no, bring back the sweet little person. Yes. So I think yeah. that's you mourning the child as they oh, yeah, grow and blossom into the adult. Yes. I think you're in the clear on that, Marin. We have to have a committee of feminist judge, but I judge you're all right. <laughs> Thank you. OK, I have a couple more and then, and then I'll stop. I am a feminist. But I have Botox and fillers in my face. That's, wow. That's, that's absolutely a, feminist. Yeah. Oh, Is Roxana's it? made a call. It's feminist. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I we think it's, it's unfeminist for people to like I think say so. that they don't have it. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think there's any like. To say that they don't bo- have it. You can't say it's unfeminist for someone to say, I don't have Botox. If they, if they do, do have it if and they, they, they pretend yeah. that they don't have oh, it, it's yeah. unfair because so it gives an un. It gives an impression that like... Yeah. Uh, oh, I see. I thought you meant any woman who doesn't have it is unfeminist. <laughs> no. Yes, that's no, what no. I was saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get cancelled now, yeah. Deborah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a hot potato that we're throwing yeah. between each other. But like, there are some who show up and like they are 50 and they have their own skincare range coming out and they have mm. the skin of like a 21-year-old and they go... But I, I don't have Botox or anything like that. I look like this because I use my own skincare. And mm. that is unfeminist and a lie also. Yeah, I think totally. as long as you're speaking your truth, like it's, I think there is still a, a wave of feminism that's like getting Botox as unfeminist or, you know, any kind of work you get done as unfeminist. And it's just like, it's just so tiring. But I think, yeah, Alison, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we get our hair cut and coloured. People feel differently about Botox up and down the range. But I think ultimately it's every individual's choice to do that or not do it. And as you say, better to, if you're going to do it, admitting it is a much more feminist act than going, what? It does look like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's impossible to resist the template for what we're given, you know, uh, what a beautiful woman is supposed to look like. I mean, no matter how hard we try, like I'm 57, so I'm older than the rest of you. And like, it's been around. I mean, and I mean, it hasn't changed, but like, you know, that we're meant to be thin and we're meant to be tall and we're meant to be eternally youthful. And even in when you know in your head that it's codswallop and that like there are billions of us and we all look different it's very hard to completely oust that sort of mindset. It's very hard to be rid of it completely. But we totally. try, you know, we're trying. We're more yes. aware now, definitely. 
I feel that way about like sometimes about body positivity and stuff where like I feel like you're punished for having negative feelings about yourself but you're like I've been brought up to feel this way there's yeah. no it's like deprogramming yourself completely and being angry 100%. at people for not being able to deprogram themselves fast enough and it's like just choice isn't it that is that it isn't yeah. it lovely this I'm a feminist but it's quite like it's quite, yeah, <laughs> nice. it's quite healing it's quite healing <laughs> because we are we're all raised in the patriarchy and we are all raised to the style and taste of that if you look at images of women hundreds of years ago, women were striving for a different beauty standard. They were still striving for a beauty standard. So as much as we can rationally kick it off, there are times when we go, but I'm happier if I'm definitely happier when I'm taking care of my hair, for example. I just Mm. feel more put together. I feel more confident. I feel now does hair matter? Obviously not, but in another way, I don't know. I've always had this thing where I think human beings individualize and they decorate and that is what makes us human. And so you know, some people want to dye their hair pink. Some people want to put it up. Some people want to shave it all off. But all of that is part of being human. So if I want my roots done and people say it's not feminist, sod off. Mm. <laughs> I totally. think. Uh, have you got any more, Marion? One more. <clears throat> Go on. Okay. I'm married. And I this really, I'm ashamed of this. I really love when I hear my husband saying, my wife, you know, say if you're meeting people that yeah. you haven't met before and uh, somebody says, um, you know, something and he goes, oh, yeah, well, my wife is Irish or is something like that. I just feel so belonged. I feel part of something. Yeah, I can hardly put words in it. Uh, you know, the word I feel about myself is pathetic that I would need that, but it gives me a warm glow. It makes me feel that he chose me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it wasn't like that. I mean, we we chose each other, but it goes way, 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 way back to like, you know, I knew my dad was terribly worried when I was a teenager that he'd never get rid of me. Do you know what I mean? And like, yes. he really wanted me to have respectability. And for me, his opinion of me as a respectable person is a wife. And, you know, and then I had so many years as not respectable, you know, like I kind of, you know, because I was an active alcoholic, I felt I wasn't productive in any way. I wasn't really part of of mainstream, respectable, productive, decent people. And obviously... I mean, the person who reclaimed me ultimately was me. But Mm. by the fact that like this man who is in no way a fuck up, you know, and I am such a fuck up, you know, that he chose me. It's like kind of the stamp of approval of right. Okay, you there, wife, stamp, you're in. Do you know, it's Mm. like I've been into the, the realm of the the adults, I was going to say, the real people, the people Grown-ups, who, oh, which yeah, leads us to yeah, our theme. who haven't fallen off the edges of the world, which was kind of what had happened to me. So it's a complex one. And I know that I shouldn't need, and I suppose I don't need it, but I really like it. I like being his wife rather than just his partner or whatever. I, get that. I think there's a sort of tentpole of 
safety and security in that, that you've got a little tribe, you're a little family and yeah. you're owned or belong to by somebody or owned is the wrong word. Uh, you're, you belong Claimed. to somebody and they belong to you. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful. I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I do get it. I remember one of my earliest memories is my mother in a shop when I was really little. My sister was already at school, so I must have been three or four. And I was like looking at, um, and I, we didn't, we weren't, you know, we got lovely toys at Christmas and birthday and stuff, but we weren't children who were like, got something every time we went to a shop. Do you know what I mean? Like it was sort of a big deal to kind of, you know, if we were bought something, it was sort of special. And I remember we were in a shop and I was looking at this little, this doesn't sound like a feminist, uh, it's a bit of a, a feminist spot, but I was looking at this little um, like baking set. It was like uh, for a toddler, like it had a little rolling pin and a little like cutout so you could make cookies and stuff. And I was looking at it and I remember my mother looking down at me and smiling at me and saying, would my little girl like that? And I just remember that feeling of being owned or like that I was hers. And I remember this great warmth coming over me. And it's such a lovely memory that she made me feel completely hers. And I think because I'm adopted and that was very important to me that I was hers, you know, that I wasn't a sort of, I wasn't a ring-in. And are you crying now, Marion? I am. Yeah, I just find that so touching. With my little girl like that, it's just beautiful. Oh my god! I don't think I've ever told anyone that before. No, I I think no. I think that's a very private memory. I've never told anybody before. But yeah, but it's a really precious memory for me because of exactly that of like being somebody's. And I think a lot of children don't have it. They don't have someone who makes them feel completely like you're my little girl, and therefore, you know, you have a sort of little special moment. I'm going to get this for you because you're my little girl. And I think that. Is I told my mother that when I was a grown up, and she obviously didn't remember it. She said, "I'm really glad you've told me that." Well, now everyone's crying now. <laughs> this is we've got to we've got to push we've got to push all of this into that. We're not even drunk, listeners. Uh, we're not even had a cocktail. And and if you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Oh God, I don't have this," I don't want you to feel left out of it. I think you know so much of what I have now. I think is chosen family of the people in my life that actually care for me and are there for me and matter to me are so much just like friends in my close community who I could call at two o'clock in the morning and say, I'm really sorry to wake you up, but I need help or I've been locked out or I am feeling really so depressed that I just need to talk to you who would be there for me. And so I think, you know, this doesn't have to be in the form of marriage or parents or children. It can be in the form of your chosen family and a really just even if you have one friend that you think you can call, that can be your person and that can make you feel part of a grown-up collective. But also when you're not feeling like a grown-up, when you're feeling lost and like you don't belong to anyone, who is it that you can connect with? Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Alison, do you have these feelings? I do. I do have these feelings. I would say like um, a big chunk of my adult life was being quite disappointed in myself that I I wasn't being what I deemed as a grown up because I just couldn't I couldn't physically do it like uh I think it's strange I don't know about the rest of you but I feel like being mentally ill is not being seen as a grown up like it's seen as immature like being depressed or um I think like a lot of pressure I got from family was from them being worried because they had to go through stuff in their life, like providing and, you know, maybe they've made mistakes in their past. I feel like a lot of the stuff you're taught is from people making mistakes and them not wanting that for you, but it creates like a new pressure. And to be seen as a grown up is to be seen as a person who you don't have to worry about in any way. But uh, you always have to worry about everyone all the time anyway. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect job or a lovely relationship or kids or whatever life kind of throws at you. I think all of those things don't kind of uh, matter or kind of like uh, reflect on you as a person. That would be my kind of view on joining the grown up world. And sometimes being a grown up is shite. Like, you know, actually. Yeah, Most of I'm, the time. Very, <laughs> I'm very bad at knowing. I, well, let me think of the, the shite parts of being a grown up. Uh, paying bills. Paying bills. Taxes. The relentless um, nature of having to support yourself and having mm, to keep on going, even when you what, just want to crash out. Like I would love to just take a couple of weeks off and because I'm freelance, it never happens. And I just, I need to find a way, but there's always something that's like, well, this is really urgent where you've got to get back to them. But if you don't get the script in, then you're going to miss this opportunity, 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 opportunity. And I just feel like, mm. when will that ever end for me? Ever. It won't. And I need to at some point carve out like a little bit of time, even if it's yeah. just the odd week here and there where I do rest myself, because I feel like the reality of being a grown up is so constant and so consistent. And I remember as a kid, you know, having like long holidays from school where there was nothing on. And you could just do your own thing for ages, like weeks at a time. Again, that's the luxury of having a childhood where I didn't have to. I mean, I did have a holiday job when I was a teenager, but as a kid, I didn't have to do anything much because I was, you know, lucky enough to have parents who, you know, had a roof over my head. And I look back on that now and just think I didn't realize how amazing it was just to have all of this time to be, just be a person. There's so mm. little time to be a person as a grown up in a capitalist society. Definitely. Yeah. Breathing in and out. Like it's just so rare. And now because of emails and because of the accessibility of everyone, everyone's expected to, even if you are on holidays, you're still expected to communicate all the time and your brain is sort of half on the job. And I think the way that politics has gone and like there's governments around the world where if you're seen as not a person that's contributing to society, then you're kind of seen as less of a person. And what is their version of contributing, you know, is kind of like, paying taxes and not using benefits and stuff and i think that's a horrible way to look at humanity oh it really is like what it's it's like value for money as a human being are you value for money for your government and it is a horrible way of looking at stuff yeah i think we are so caught up in that productivity 
loop of what am I producing, what am I making, and therefore what is my worth, that we're all like human factories. Whether we're at the kind of you know privileged end, which we all are because we work in the arts and we get to write and you know we get to make things and you know or whether we're at the you know much less privileged end of that where you're kind of actually working in a factory, there's a sort of sense of keep producing, keep producing, keep producing, keep producing, keep producing, and I think we've forgotten what we're doing that for. I think the pandemic, if anything, has made us stop and go, hold on, what's all of this for? And is all of this necessary? And I think as feminists, there's this extra element because firstly, women take a lot more of the emotional burden, the social burden, the burden to like look after family members, to create that social community where we keep everybody hooked up and connected and is everyone okay? And then as feminists, we're also going, how can we change the world? And there are times when I would like to just go, can I just be an artist? Can I just create a thing and then have an evening off? And I don't feel that's really a possibility for me. And I know I've got to find a better way of being that sometimes and taking that time. But I don't know how. I don't, I don't know how. I'm really revealing more than I normally do because I'm a <laughs> bit hungry and tired. But I don't know how to get out of constantly making, producing. Uh, somebody sent me a diagram the other day. I think it was Gina, who's like my right-hand woman. It was like one of those flowcharts that said um, – you want to take on another project. Do you have time for this? Then the flowchart went, no, then don't do it. Do you have time for this? Yes. No, you don't. (laughs) 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 Marion, how do you, you've written your 14th novel. So you're somebody who I think as a woman, as a feminist, as a grown-up, your 14th novel is called Grown Ups. How do you manage all of this? You are a very, very prolific writer. You're a much loved writer. You have a public waiting for your next book. It's the way you make a living. It's presumably the way you express yourself. How do you manage everything that you do? Um, I mean, thank you for those lovely things. But um, I'm very slow. I mean, I'm not prolific at all. You know, many other books, though. Oh, yeah, but that's over 25 years. Like most writers manage like a book a year or a book... Uh, you know, every year and a half. And I feel perpetually underperforming. I feel perpetually that's, that's guilty. That's more than a book every two years. That's not underperforming. But that's how I feel. You know, I mean, I'm not as, you know, you are very, what's the word when people do a lot of different things? I'm sorry, I have the menopause brain. Um, like a hyphenate. <laughs> Uh, it's when you hyphenate. It's like when you do yeah. write around a comedian at a podcast or whatever. Yeah, and that you can do many different things at once. And I envy that so much because I absolutely can't multitask. When I'm writing a book, it's kind of all I'm able to do. You know, I don't do any other writing projects because I'm simply not gifted enough. I can't splinter my focus in that way. So, I mean, I do what I can on an individual day you know, to keep my book going forward. And I mean, it, that's a kind of a, a process that ebbs and flows. And some days I'm very uh, productive and other days I'm not. And then, you know, I suppose I do all the other stuff that writers have to do, like, um, oh, you know, write articles for um, papers, you know, around, you know, like I'll be asked to do things for Valentine's Day, or, you know. And then there's the social media, which is, hilarious really because for years I wouldn't do anything and my publishers were all like go on Facebook and I was like no because like I tried going on Facebook and all these 
bitches from school popped up and I was like, why the name of God would I want to be friends with you? You were horrible to me then. I'm not going to be, you, you only want to be friends with me now because I'm famous. So you can fuck yourself. And so I like, and I'm still not on Facebook. But anyway, Twitter came along and they were like, ah, look, give Twitter a try because you won't notice the bitches from school in amongst all the, the other people. And yeah. and I just, I went on Twitter. I fell in love. And listen, I mean, I could have written another 14 books in the time that I have spent on Twitter. Um, and <laughs> like, I suppose Twitter is, it's an addiction. It's a hobby. I mean, about 1% of what I get from Twitter is actually work promotion, you know, and the rest of it is just wasted. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but like, in another way, I suppose, I feel, I mean, I feel my age and that like, I feel I have far less energy than I used to have. Also, yeah, I keep forgetting to say this. Like 10 years ago, I had a breakdown. Now, I have no idea really what triggered it. The thing is, though, before that, I worked like a dog. Look, much harder than, than I do now. I Like in terms of like I traveled a huge amount, like, you know, and I kind of anywhere people asked me to go to like a literary festival or, you know, another country or something, I go because I was afraid. And I think you might have said something like this earlier, Deborah. I was afraid that if I said no, they'd never ask me again. And so I went and I went and I went. And like, I hit a wall for various reasons. And I thought I'd never write again. But when I eventually came back to myself, I knew that I wouldn't be able to work at that pace anymore. So like, I'm mm. slower in terms of production now. And I'm slower in terms of... You know, I used to be incredibly articulate and witty and really good in interviews and stuff. And I can feel the slowness in my brain now, but I have to accept that. And I mean, I'm lucky in that. I suppose there's just myself and my husband. We don't have, a, you know, a load of children, but, you know, I earn less money than I used to, you know, which is all fine. But that is my reality. And I'm making it sound really hard. And like the, the thing is, I love love writing books. You know, there is nothing else I want to do. And that again is quite sneered at, you know, the idea that, but but don't you want to write a TV series and don't you want to write children's books and don't you want your own podcast? And, and like, I don't, I would find them way too stressful. I like what I do. I'm in my lane. That's what it is. I'm in my lane. I like my lane. And there is huge pressure to move out of your lane, to be in all the lanes. I think it's great. I think it's, this is what people used to do. They used to pick a thing, do it really well, get really good at it and do it. And that was their job. And that was their career. And I think it's great. I think we're probably all doing too many things half-baked now. And I love the fact that you're still writing novels and they're getting better and better. And you're allowing yourself more space and room as you've got older and more successful to write them rather than pump out one a year and have them be less good. And I think it's great. And you're very articulate. You really don't need to worry oh. about that. You may feel you're less articulate, but you're not. Can I ask you what this novel is about? Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it's probably about not being a grown-up, about the fact that we never actually attain it. It's about three brothers in their 40s. They're, you know, good-looking, glamorous. They're all married. One of them has an ex-wife. One of them, their wives were previously married, so they have grown-up stepchildren. And... They have, I suppose, a, quite a, a kind of a, 
an affluent lifestyle. And that's oh. down to one of the wives, Jessie. And she sort of bankrolls the rest of them. And they spend a lot of time together because Jessie is very controlling and Jessie likes this. Jessie is not dissimilar to me in many ways. And um, so they go to these lovely places and they have a lovely time on the surface because, you know, We've all learned how to be mannerly. You know, we've all learned to kind of the veneer of civility. But in any group of people, whether it's, you know, a biological family or a family of friends or a group of work people, there's all kinds of murky, unspoken stuff that goes on underneath the surface. So obviously underneath the surface, some people dislike each other intensely. And then a couple of people like each other far too much. And all of that stays (laughs) functional, you know, until one of the wives, Cara, gets concussion and This actually happened to somebody I know. She got concussion. Suddenly her filter went and she couldn't stop telling the truth. So Mm. she let slip something at the start of the book that nobody needed to know. And that started a kind of a dominoes falling effect of secrets coming out. Now, this is at the start of the book and nobody knows what the actual secrets are, but they know that it's heavy duty stuff. And then the book jumps back six months earlier and you find out all the kind of the intersections and, you know, overlappings and meets and um, and things that led to the kind of the snarl of dynamic that kind of blew up at the birthday party where it all came out. And it's about the fact that, yeah, we can all put on the front, but underneath us, I mean, I suppose I'm speaking for myself here, but I don't think I'm unique, that every unpleasant emotion that I have ever felt, I don't re-feel it on a daily basis, but it's all there on file somewhere in me. Should I need it? You know, if it's triggered by a particular situation, you know, I really don't feel that at any stage that we graduate completely away from pain. You know, I always thought I would outgrow not feeling good enough or feeling a bit jealous or or, or, or envious or like I don't fit in in this you know, or a bit sneered mm. at, you know. The emotions that you equate with high school or secondary yeah. school never really go yeah. away. And you think when How I'm a disappointing up. that we don't outgrow them. <laughs> well, <laughs> they just grow with us. And we can temper them. We can, we can create more positive things. There's all sorts of ways we can, but ultimately they're there bubbling below the surface and actually accepting that they will be with us. And on our deathbed, we'll think, She's bloody well outlived me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It it does get a small bit easier, though. I mean, the feelings are still there in me, but my ways of defending myself have got better. You know, I have found myself now and again in situations where I have, you know, squared my jaw and squared my shoulder. And I've said, you know, things like just small things, right? You know, like if you stay in a hotel and they give you the card, Yoki, you know, and you mm. go up to your room and it doesn't feckin' work, you know, and you've got to mm. go all the way back down again and say, I checked in, you gave me this, it didn't work. And they'll go, oh, OK, and they'll give you a new one. And when that happens to me now, I say, and you're sorry? Because they mm. never apologize. And they're like, uh, What? And I said, and you're sorry for sending me up with a card that didn't work and made me come back down again. You're sorry? You know, just small things like that that make me feel like, and I'm not being a bitch about it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to like be a Karen about it, but like, <laughs> but I'm not going to be treated like shit in the way 
I used to let myself. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. small little things like that that kind of play into a bigger sense of I deserve better treatment than I let myself Mm -hmm. have. Just little things like that. That is the nice thing about growing up, isn't it? Yeah. Like that, that kind of feeling that yeah. you don't have to take shots. Yeah. And I yeah. don't care if you she doesn't like me. I don't care if she goes back and tells her colleagues that I'm a bitch. Like, I don't care. I find that so hard, Marion. Yeah. I find that so... Like, my boyfriend would tell me I'm the biggest person to get upsold on everything oh. because I, I take it so personally. I think, like, once I went to the cinema and they were like, would you like a, to make that popcorn large? And uh, And I was like... Yeah, and my boyfriend's like, you, you you didn't want that. And I was like, but what if they got commission off that and they had one commission yeah. to get that day? And like, that's different. Like, Why do you put no, such emotion? You have a into, kind into, heart. Like, <laughs> you have a kind heart. That's different. That's different from standing up. And also, I love popcorn, Marion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's sort of like that's a small example of standing up for yourself and being present and being in the moment and saying, I don't want to disappear here. I don't want to be unimportant here. It's I, want, the difference, I want you um, to acknowledge that I'm important. The difference, because I started going to therapy last year and so much of what you're saying, Marion, is like totally resonating. But he always says to me, because I appear confident a lot of the time, but I am such a pushover. And he says it's the difference between being assertive and being rude. Like you're, like you say, standing up for yourself. And like I found it's like, because often I let things bottle up, bottle up, bottle up and then I'll just explode mm-hmm. um, because I haven't been assertive and he's just like and I'm just like yeah but that's passive ag- aggressive and he's like so <laughs> like a teacher he literally is just writing out like give me examples of passive aggression give me examples of assertiveness and I wonder if there's a thing like um because I obviously Alison I know you very well but yeah I think for Irish women as well like obviously of course women in general but I really feel like we've had to use kind of passive aggression for so long because that was the only kind of power that we had. we had or something and and now it's really hard to tell the difference of just like you say I'm not being rude but you should apologize because you you set me up there and like you say we shouldn't care if people as long as you're a good person with a kind heart it shouldn't matter what other people what we think people might go off and say but it's really hard to rewire yourself but we have mm. to constantly do it like Yeah. And, you know, it mightn't go right the first time. You know, I've probably overstepped the line and been rude rather than assertive because it's all new to me. Like it's all stuff I'm learning and we don't come out of the box suddenly with the perfect way to be assertive. You know, it's it's a skill that we learn rather than just something that kind of is innate. And the fact that we're trying at all is good, but you're so Right, Roxana, about saying that passive aggression was the only way we had of ever getting our way. And actually, yeah. th- there was an amazing quote by somebody Rothschild. I'll find the name in a minute. And she says something like, women are incredibly good at finding solutions to very complex situations because we've had to be. Because it's how we have managed. It's the only way we've managed. Men are just used to walking into a situation and saying, I want that and I want that and I want that and I want them this way. And people will make it happen for them. But we go in and we say, I want that. They go, no, well, they're not for you. And, do you know, so we've had to kind of learn. I was going to say underhand. That's the wrong word. But we have had to learn imaginative ways to get what we want because they were never going to be given to us if we simply asked I agree. I agree. And in plays, women are often written as manipulative. And I'm like, 
if you don't have the power, you have to learn how to manipulate yeah. the power. You have to be able to influence and manipulate because you can't make the decisions. I have a theory. This is why women are so good at deconstructing like text messages and stuff of going, what do you think he meant by that? And it's if you're not part of the power base, if you're a step away from the power base, but you're close enough to the power base to have an influence, you need to be good at what do they really mean, deconstructing it, writing something back or saying something back that's going to get you the outcome you want. And I think the reason straight cisgendered men often seem not interested at all in deconstructing anyone's text message is they're in the power position. So they don't need to wonder what you're thinking. Also, Deborah, cis straight men are very shit at texting. It's often like a <laughs> there's okay, that too. Yeah, there's that too. But that's, I think that's why. I think that's why they don't. They just need to like they they say, oh, well, I just say what I mean, and I'm like, well, but if you've historically had the power, you can just have the luxury of saying what you yeah. Mean. Isn't it wonderful that women have the world of emojis and stuff open to us for <laughs> for our like uh, manipulation? Do you know, it's the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving. Um, Are you ever texting someone? You know, when you're texting someone and like on WhatsApp and it says when they're typing or and it's like typing and like so you you text something and maybe it is something a bit assertive and you're texting, texting, you see typing, typing, typing. If it's another one, typing, 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 and then they might go, Yes, okay, that's no problem. And you're like, They've obviously been like typing, erasing, typing, or because you know, yeah, sometimes you say, and you're like, and you're, you're, well, I actually think we said two o'clock, and then we did, and it's like, and then you go, No, no, and then you just go, I'm just gonna say, Okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's just like that thing where it's like, you're overthinking something so simple. And yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. Men are just like, yes, fine. And we're like, what does he mean? And he does just mean, yes, that's fine. <laughs> the only time they put thought into text messages is at three in the morning after the pub and they're like, you up? You know, that's the <laughs> so only. <much> <laughs> News gang. So normally on International Women's Day, the Guilty Feminist does a show somewhere like the London Palladium or the Royal Festival Hall. But this year we're under house arrest. I don't know if you've noticed, so we can't do that. So we thought, well, that's okay. We'll do a live stream. Downside, can't be in the same room. Upside, everyone in the world can come. Also upside, we realise we can have international guests. So guess who? Guess who? Guess who? Cindy V is my co-pilot, one of your favourites. Guests are Maria Bamford, one of the best comedians in the world. We've never had her on. And, get this, Addison Bechtel, as in the Bechtel test, as in a fun home. So the four of us are going to be having a deep, throbbing, very fizzy, very fiery chat for International Women's Day. And there's more. See, I always think International Women's Day is feminist Christmas, so I've asked Sophie Duker to do the Queen's speech. And Nicola Cochran is popping in to give us Bridgerton on set gossip. It is the guilty feminist after all. Uh, our media partner is Stylist, so Lisa from Stylist is popping in with Josie from Choose Love, who are our charity partner. Some of your ticket money goes to Choose Love. And we are getting the inside scoop on how things are going actually on the ground for refugees at the moment, which is a cause, as you know, very close to the guilty feminist heart. Grace Petrie will be playing us out with great flair and flourish, as always. And there's another special guest that I'm going to let to tell you about. It's very fun and funny. Get tickets now. Um, it's 11th of March, 8 p.m. London time, UK time. Now, if you are in New York, that will be 3 p.m. And if you are in L.A., it'll be uh, midday. And if you are in Australia, I think, like... You have to figure it out because I think it's going to be I think it's going to be in the morning if you're in Australia. Um, 
but you can keep the recording for 72 hours. It's a live stream, but then you can keep it for 72 hours. So you can watch it. If you get a ticket, you can watch it whenever you want after that. Get tickets now, guiltyfeminist.com. Click on live shows and uh, you will be able to get tickets right away. Do not miss it. It's going to be exceptional. See you there. Fresh from her amazing appearance on our Patreon Burns Night special, it's actor and poet Roxana Nick Leo. <laughs> Roxana, do you have a poem for us? Yes, I do. Um, I have one um, that might actually, I wasn't going to do, but it might fit into the theme of kind of grown up because I wrote it when I was 23 or 24 and I really thought I was a grown up and I'm a really grown up person and... I look back at it and I'm just like, oh my God, you're just a little girl. That was not grown up. So yeah, will I do that one? Yeah. Yeah, what's it called? It's called The Bubble. <gasps> oh, you can see this on... <laughs> so Roxana's made a video for this. You can see it on Twitter. And where else can you see Roxana? Like, where's the best? Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's called The Bubble. And Dave Tynan, who's a really amazing director, he made it into a short film. Brilliant. Um, and make, it actually just looks like it's a really cool trailer for an even better film. So yeah, it's um it's short. It's only like a minute uh, or two minutes. But um, take it yeah. away, Roxana. Okay. <clears throat> we live in a bubble. We live on tequila, and we run around like lunatics at night time. We smash wine glasses and glass tables and the glasses on your face. We pull the door off the fridge, but we fix it in the morning. We hold each other's hands when the others aren't looking. Turn off your phone so your girlfriend won't call when we're fucking. We leave our hearts on the floor as gifts, even though they probably get walked on. We make declarations of love that ruin the night. Ruining is a theme. Carpets are ruined. Dinners are ruined. Friendships are most certainly ruined. Turn off your phone so your girlfriend won't call when we're fucking. We order breakfast in bed. Just continental though, because we're not pigs. We are pigs. We are horrible pigs. We are horrible dying pigs. We punish. We punish ourselves and we punish each other. We fight. Fighting is also a theme. We get in fights with men who grab us, with boys who steal our phones, women who stand on our feet when we're dancing and musicians who laughed at us and use a poor choice of words when they refer to us as junkies. We talk about the horrible things that happen to us, but that's okay because we also talk about the good times and the funny things we did as children. We play really beautiful songs for each other. We write inscriptions and books for each other. We write songs that we sing at lock-ins. We laugh, we cry, we drive, we eat. We watch sunsets and war films. We hug, we eat some more, we drink, we drink a lot. We lean on each other. We jump in the sea on a cold winter's day. And then we say all that we have to say. It's time. And we don't say what we shouldn't, although it fucking hurts not to. We pause for the first time in a long time. We say goodbye. We turn our phones back on. Oh my God. Wow. That was. Where can we see more of your poetry, Roxana? (laughs) Thank you. Oh my God. Um, My stuff is, uh, yeah, it's it's on YouTube. Roxana Nicolaim is my name. And then it's at Nicolaimo on Twitter and Instagram. And there's a variation of. Some nice poems as well, not just the. What, <laughs> Nick Limo? How do we? How do you? How do you spell uh, it? At N I C L I A M O. And Marion Keys, where can we buy your new book? Uh, 
the bookshops, um, <laughs> the uh, the independents have um, an independent alliance. Is it bookshops.org? Buy it from somewhere that pays their tax. When's it out? Uh, today, <laughs> uh, the 4th of February. Um, 4th of February. Yes. So when you're listening to this, it will definitely already be out. Go and get grown-ups and check out the rest of Marion Key's books. If you haven't discovered her by now, you are absolutely going to love her. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guests, Marion Keys and Roxana Nick Liam. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Salinsky from the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina Dicio, and everyone else who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Also, at some stage, will you remind me to tell you about the time that I took testosterone and the effect it had on me? Okay. Yes. I'll write that down. We will. Okay. I'm a testosterone. No, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm I'm a feminist, but... ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>